Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice, all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. Hang up and listen is brought to you by Slack. Slack brings all of your communication at work into one place. Create a new team right now at slack.com slash hang up and you'll get $100 in credit for when you decide to upgrade to a paid plan. That's slack.com slash hangup. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hi, this is Josh Levine, and this is Slate's sports podcast, Hang Up and Listen, for the week of April 25th, 2016. On today's show, we're going to talk about reigning National League MVP and Washington National star Bryce Harper. And... And whether he can make baseball fun again. (laughs) We'll also discuss ESPN's firing of transphobic dumbass Kurt Schilling. (laughs) They like our selection of topics. (laughs) (laughs) And what that firing says about the politics of sports media. And finally... And I hope this gets the biggest round of applause. We'll be joined by U.S. Women's National Team and Washington Spirit star Allie Krieger. More popular than even Kurt Schilling. (laughs) She'll be talking with us about uh, her her World Cup win, her push for equal pay, and the future of women's pro soccer in the United States. Joining me live on stage at the Woolly Mammoth Theater in Washington, D.C., it's the author of the book's Word Freak and A Few Seconds of Panic, 
the amateur set bladder impersonator with the highest Scrabble rating. It's Stefan Fatsis. Thank you, Josh. And also with us, it's the host of Slate's Daily Podcast, The Gist, a man who believes in truth, justice, vexillology, and the proportional counting of delegates. Oh, my God. It's Mike Pesca. Hello. I do indeed. You don't win states, you win delegates. Or in the case of John Kasich, neither. (laughs) So I feel like tonight is going to be a support group for all of us because sports have been terrible. Sports are terrible. The Stephen Curry news really has me down. Only two weeks uh, with the MCL sprain is what they're trying to make us believe, Stefan. Yeah. The networks want you to believe that. These first rounds of the NBA playoffs is incredibly boring. And that game, that series should be a sweep. James Harden's game-winning shot in game three shouldn't have been allowed. So this is sort of injecting some, if not drama, then knee curative uh, thing in a syringe. Yeah, but the drama becomes, will he be okay when they have to play better teams? He Right, but he showed the way. He led the way. And so now everyone has to rally around him. When Disney makes the movie of this in 12 years, this is an essential plot element. It's an animated, he, animated film. He taught Clay to believe in himself. He taught Draymond it was all right. He taught Harrison Barnes that we didn't waste a draft pick on you. What, um, what different animals would the Warriors be in the animated version? Like we're thinking Robin Hood. Is Stephen Curry like a fox? Is he like kind of a no, a, no, no. A parrot? He's <laughs> a, a, a something with a very supple backbone, like uh, an otter or <laughs> or something weasley. I think more in the I weasel. Mean, otter is yeah. too lumbering. Otter is a weasel. It's an aquatic weasel. Yeah, it's a little yeah. lumbering though. Yeah. The otter. Yeah. I think you want someone who's a little lither, a little sneakier. Could be a snake. <laughs> Steph Curry's a snake. Ay ay ay. I feel like we could be getting into dangerous territory here. So um, I also wanted to mention the other thing that was making me sad was that Deflategate was back in the news. Yeah. And it is not among our list of topics. Good, good on us. Good choice. People might not even be aware that Deflategate is back in the news. And now they won't be. Because we're not going to tell you anything that I said about that. Deflategate. So there is going to be a Q&A segment after the show if you want to ask us questions about... Um, anything except Deflategate. We're going uh, to have mics out here. You can um, ask us whatever. And that will be our bonus segment for the Slate Plus members this week. Uh, you guys should sign up for Slate Plus if you haven't. Slate.com slash plus. Um, and now to Bryce Harper. So uh, we played the song Bryce Harper MVP by Wale on the way in. Um, do you know what Bryce Harper's walk-up music is uh it's an acronym right yeah g-o-m-d yeah which is like my i think it means something like my god he's a man of religion so it's (laughs) praising the lord get off it's get off my d oh get get off my (laughs) so this is a rather cocky individual literally Um, he (laughs) he did not start sunday's game against the twins in an interview after the nats 16 inning win uh, Harper said manager Dusty Baker came up to me at the beginning of the game and said, if we have an opportunity to pinch hit you, if you can hit a homer, 
That would be great. <laughs> <laughs> That's Mr. Burns' strategy yeah. in that classic game. You there, strawberry, hit a home run. Playing the role of dying kid in hospital is Dusty <laughs> Baker. Um, <laughs> so in the ninth inning, Harper pinch hits, Washington down by one. He hits a home run. It was pretty great. The Nats win in 16. Uh, some other stuff happened. Um, they're now 14 and 4. The 23-year-old Harper leads the majors with nine home runs. He has 106 homers by the age of 23. That's more than all but three guys in Major League history. Babe Ruth only had 20 home runs. Was Ralph Kiner one of the three? I think Andrew Jones. Oh, yeah, that would make Mel sense. Mel Ott. And the, the guys who play maybe too young. Tony Canigliere. The guy, no, Eddie yeah. Matthews, I The think. guys who burn out too early. Yeah, great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that is sad. So... Um, Harper's philosophy and personality, I think, are even more important than his stats. There was a story published in ESPN the magazine before the season where he said, baseball is tired. It's a tired sport because you can't express yourself. You can't do what people and other sports do. And then he mentioned Steph Curry, LeBron James. It's exciting to see those players. Cam Newton, I love the way Cam goes about it. He smiles. He laughs. It's that flair, the dramatic. He wore a hat on opening day that said, make baseball fun again. And so uh, he's got a, hun- a 100 emote. Yeah, great hat. Um, <laughs> very sophisticated sense of humor. So um, can Bryce Harper actually make a difference? Can he kind of inject a new kind of spirit, a younger kind of personality into this old and stodgy sport? Yes. Yes, yes, he can. Um, and I think the reason that he can is partly because he's playing on a very good team in a major metropolitan market. Mike Trout has been otherworldly. He's been better than Bryce Harper. He is a year older than Bryce Harper. Um, his first three seasons in the major leagues were basically the best three seasons in the major leagues, not for someone who was 20 years old, but for anybody in the history of baseball. His, I mean, Trout's top three seasons are, I think, actually, in aggregate, the best of anyone at that stage in we his get career. It. We get it. He's you good. He's right. good. He's good. <laughs> Um, and how many and, MVPs did he win in that time? Thank you, Baseball Writers of America. Right. And so the question now is we have two of the best players in the history of baseball at their ages playing at the same time. Trout is not perceived as a sort of charismatic, fun-loving, outgoing, outspoken figure. Harper is, and I think he's actually grown into this role. Um, he has, as, 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 um, as Thomas Boswell wrote in the Washington Post today, he talked about the other day, he talked about how Harper has sort of approached every challenge that has to do with his attitude and his personality and the game and met them. I mean, the ones where he was perceived as this cocky young kid, he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated at 16, the picture showed him wearing that crazy eye black that went streaking down toward his mouth, looking like some sort of you know, alien. Batman villain. Batman villain. Um, and his attitude was perceived as too cocky. But he has answered that not just with his performance, but with his words. And I think that the public is far more receptive to the idea that you should have fun out there, that this is part of sports. And I think it goes sort of hand in glove with the idea that we're more sophisticated about how we analyze sports, both metrically and sort of with our eyes, but also with the notion that it's okay to display this kind of emotion when you're playing. So the question you teed up to Stefan was what? Phrase it again. The exact question that he answered <laughs> no to or yes to. Yes to. Yeah. Uh, can he make baseball fun again? No. 
Um, and we had this same discussion with Trout, and I do think Trout has a good personality. The guy loves meteorology. Um, Harper perhaps has a better one. I also would like to correct, is Washington a major metropolitan oh. area? I know, I'm only saying that because the crowd's on my side, but it's, a, it's nice, you know? A lot of people think of it as the gateway to Baltimore, but... But my point here is to say, can this guy, can this one guy save baseball or change baseball, misunderstands baseball. And it's not um, a question of, you know, can Steph Curry elevate the NBA? Can Pele introduce soccer? In the cases of those guys, they can because of the nature of the sport, the ability for one player to be dominant. And it's just not like that in baseball. No matter how good you are, you have to wait so eight-ninths of the time you're not batting. Or when Dusty Baker sits you, you know, 38, 39ths or probably think 40 of, Think guys about the times in baseball history when one player has been able to do that, whether in my childhood it was Fernando Valenzuela or Mark Fidrich. Pitchers. Fidrich. Because baseball is a pastoral game and it unspools over six months. And if you want to have an appointment, you go to watch a pitcher. But with a batter, it's very hard. You can watch the highlights. He can be, I think he will be the most exciting everyday player in baseball. But I don't think that that role, the guy who is the most exciting everyday player in baseball can elevate the sport. I think it misunderstands baseball. I think in other sports you could do that. I just don't think it's possible in baseball, but I also think that's okay. And it's not any, it's not a deficit of Harper. It's just the nature of the sport. So here's where I would push back on that a little bit. Goose Gossage, the uh, mustachioed reliever of your pushed back against uh, Harper and said, he doesn't know squat about the game. He has no respect for it. You hear this from other, like his own teammate, Jonathan Papelbon, these guys who right. say you shouldn't, you know, flip your bat or you shouldn't celebrate after the, a home the, run. The blowhard relievers, uh, right. union. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I found, the thing that I found really interesting, and you don't hear about Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball, he's not spoken about as some progressive like Adam Silver is. Maybe it's because he just, took over recently. But I found this quote really interesting. He says, I think to the extent that you believe, and I actually do, that Bryce Harper is a spokesman for this generation, I suspect that you will see more exuberance from our players on the field. I think that to the extent that you're trying to market to a younger audience, our younger players taking control of the definition of those unwritten rules is a lot better than some guy who's 67 years old saying, I did it that way, and you ought to do it the same way. Like, I I don't think that quote got a lot of publicity. I was really surprised. I thought that was really cool that he said that. And I think maybe it's not Bryce Harper on his own, but as like a representative of, you know, Manny Machado, Jose Fernandez, whoever, younger players in baseball, I think he could have an effect on getting rid of some of the dumber, stodgier traditions in the game. And I think the the other part that you underplay, Mike, is that the culture of sports, the way social media and traditional media present sports allows someone, even in a timeless pastoral game like baseball, to have this outside sort of impact because most people are watching vines or clips or highlights. And if you watch the highlight of last night's uh, Nationals game in the 15th and 16th innings, the Nationals had turned their caps sideways and pushed them in. Harper in the 16th inning when the Nationals ended up winning put his hoodie on and pulled the strings as tight as he could so you could only see his nose and his eyes. And it was actually really fun to watch. 
I think a couple of things. First of all, Harper was subject to the uh, old school unwritten rules. There was a Sports Illustrated story about him, which included a lot of like unsourced uh, calumny against his character. So he's kind of been so good. It's not as if baseball has changed. The guy's so good you can't ignore it. Second thing, he's making such an obviously glaringly correct point that the old guard, I mean, in so many walks of life, we don't give credence to really dumb arguments, yet in sports, we seem to. So what other walks of life would Goose Gossage be said, yes, come here, sit on the stage, let's all listen to what you have to say. The idea about that Joey, ba- that uh, that Jose Batista flips his bat, and that's flipping off America or Canada or whatever, it's the dumbest argument going. And so, so to, I do think that to some extent, these Bryce Harper is in opposition to this school of thought that school of thought is is a straw man or that school of thought is you know a convenient villain for everyone who knows that if you're happy just flip your bat but i don't think he's going to change baseball and i i think that what steph curry is doing in the nba people calling themselves calling each other watch steph steph's at 40 steph's at 45 what's the equivalent at baseball you got to wait for the game to come to you you if a pitcher's there you call people up and say syndergaard Notice I didn't say Strasburg. Syndergaard's <laughs> dealing. Syndergaard is 14 strikeouts. Syndergaard is 15. That's an ongoing process that you want to be a part of. With baseball, if you're lucky enough to see him hit a home run, it's by chance. He'll make a great play in the field, but he can go several days and not make a great play. Just the nature of the sport. So the demographics of baseball, um, this was in the uh, Washington Post study. It's 50%. Not in the New York Times, Mike. It's a Washington story. A major regional news outlet. Yeah. Um, (laughs) 50% of baseball viewers are 55 or older. And that's up from 41% 10 years ago. And so anything that... (laughs) All I know is NPR would kill for those demographics. (laughs) (laughs) Anything that baseball can do to appeal to people right. who are not receiving the AARP magazine, I think is a good thing. The other point, but also I, the, the, the changing demographics of America are going to change. The browning of America is going to bring that down, I think. Yeah, well, um, the other point I wanted to make is that a lot of this conflict that we've seen over the last couple of years, it's often Latin players <sighs> celebrating and white players being like, that's not how we or do it. Or retired white players. In this, yeah. But there have even been current players like, that's not how we do it in this country, which is just like the most appalling sentiment. And so Harper is kind of in a strange way, like a spokesman, because a lot of what, um, let me start that again. So a lot of this, of Spanish speaking players that are stars, the way that the baseball media is set up, the way that it works, their views aren't represented because there's not Spanish speaking reporters. And so the fact that Harper is kind of representing this philosophy or representing these attitudes, it's like, I guess that happens a lot in all walks of life that like white people, you know, are, are given audience that people of color don't have. But I just found that to be an interesting. Right. Spokesman. So Yasiel Puig, who has problems that really are about maturity a little bit, but when he was playing on the Bryce Harper level, literally was not also speaking out because he wasn't doing it in English and he wasn't giving, it's not too hard to find a translator. So it's the media's fault as much as Jaskel Puig. But yeah, he's the guy who's doing it and he's the guy who's explaining it in a palatable way for kind of boring U.S. But media. he also crosses over 
to that old generation because the the impression of Bryce Harper and his reputation coming into Major League Baseball was that he was a throwback. I want to play like Pete Rose and Mickey Mantle. You know, those were his idols in terms of how he wanted to play growing up. He was hardworking, played all the time, played the game the right way. So he does embody that sort of old school baloney about these ethical ways of playing well, the game. He's kind of changed and evolved a little bit. But I think, it, I think the truth is he plays really hard but also celebrates when appropriate. Right. Whereas, or so that's just celebrates, celebrates freely. So he can actually combine those right. two. And he did get suspended for not, you know, legging out a hit once and then maybe that... He got choked for not legging out a hit <laughs> once yeah. too, I think. All right, Stefan, you want to make one last uh, point? Because you were looking at the SI story about him when he was 16. And it's just crazy how he's like the rare sports phenom who is, I guess, LeBron James, LeBron too. James, and the cover sorry. said he's the baseball's LeBron. He has fulfilled every ex- unfair, like unreasonable expectation that was heaped on him since he was like eight years old. Right. I mean, the chosen one, like LeBron. Um, the, the, I read the piece that was written by Tom Verducci um, about Bryce Harper at 16, where he was hitting like a, he had a 570 foot home run with a metal bat. That's I mean, definitely, on, anybody can do that's that. definitely true. That definitely got to be true. Yeah. <laughs> the thin um, Las Vegas era. Yeah. Um, but the, the remarkable thing to me was the consistency that Bryce Harper at 16 is pretty much Bryce Harper now. Um, his attitude, his approach to discussing baseball, his goals for the game. Um, the way he has achieved those goals already at, you know, four years into his career is kind of remarkable how, uh, and this, this sort of reflects on sort of the youth sports culture too, and how someone can be groomed for greatness, that this kind of greatness really can be identified when someone is nine or 10, and then through sheer, you know, pushing him to play 130 games a year when he was nine years old, which his parents swear was totally his choice. <laughs> he actually fulfills those, those goals. I mean, a good thing that Bryce Harper was not groomed to be a pitcher because he probably would have already torn his UCL. Well, the Jesuit, the Jesuits say, give me the boy at seven, I'll give you the man. I don't know why that applies, but Seven Up's a really good documentary series. Um, why aren't these guys who actually fulfill their promise? Why don't we ever groom them to be, you know, AIDS doctors? We're so stupid. So, and all the kids who were groomed to do it and didn't do it. What about yeah. them? What about those sure. stories, Verducci? So yeah. there, there are going to be ushers walking through the aisles, um, passing the hat. We're going to need about seven hundred million dollars um, to keep Rice to Harper keep him in, in this in this middling media market. All right. Um, Kurt Schilling. It's a, oh, that it's, guy. It's always time to talk about Kurt Schilling. Um, he won three World Series, one with the Diamondbacks and two with the Red Sox. He pitched Boston to victory in the 2004 World Series. And in the LCS, he had that bloody sock. Um, that was real blood, they, yeah. they say. Um, I must say that I'm very disappointed in myself that I've gone through one sentence of this introduction without mentioning that he is a moron. But I'm gonna make up, I'm gonna make up for that now. Uh, in August of last year, he tweeted an image that read, it said only five to 10% of Muslims are extremists. In 1940, only 7% of Germans were Nazis. How'd that go? Makes, makes you think. Um, <laughs> on account of that, he was suspended by ESPN, and he was suspended because he was calling the Little League World Series. That's the best detail. Just impressionable young minds. Uh, last week, ES- ESPN. <laughs> Come here, fi- Jimmy. Let me tell you about Benghazi. Hey. <laughs> hey. 
Last week, ESPN fired Schilling after he shared a transphobic meme on Facebook about letting men into women's bathrooms, which uh, suggests that Ted Cruz should not seek employment as a sportscaster when his political career crashes and burns. Um, I would describe Schilling's Facebook page as a comprehensive accounting of the stuff Sarah Palin thinks about before deciding it's too dumb to say out loud. (laughs) Today, uh, do not look at Kurt Schilling's Facebook page. Today, he posted a quote from Prince in which Prince explains why he votes Republican, which is a total fabrication. Snopes.com, Kurt Schilling, familiarize yourself. Um, There's also a picture on there of Hillary Clinton with bloody hands in which she says, you people are so stupid, you will vote for me anyway. Um, Schilling told Breitbart News, I'll always love talking about pitching. I thought I was good at it. But at a company where the rules are different based completely and solely on your perspective and your beliefs, it didn't work. They didn't like that. Mike, <laughs> guide us. So he guide fi- us through this morass. He f- yeah. So he, you won't find more of an ass than Kurt Schilling. But <laughs> so he finds the fact that ESPN, who hired him to offer opinion and analysis, what was that quote about how you, he, they demand a certain? The rules are different based completely and solely on your perspective and your beliefs. What's his job to give? <laughs> perspective and beliefs, right? He just had dumb ones. Um, the, Kurt Schilling's awful, and the things he believes are retrograde, and he does it in an obnoxious manner. But here are the, I don't know, complicating, interesting um, uh, wrinkles to this story. One is that ESPN does not have anything approaching a coherent strategy about what can be said and what can't be said. And so that's fine in the beginning who did, but after a while, it, I could understand why it would become weird that Kurt Schilling can write post after post about evolution and, and denying Darwinism. And then when, um, another prominent, smarter, uh, ESPN commentator, Keith Law pushes back, it's Law who gets suspended. So what lesson is Kurt Schilling to get from that? And the other thing is societally that, yeah, these are horrible, asinine things to say. They're also kind of right now winning the Republican primaries. <laughs> so he does have a point if he wants to say, oh, well, he doesn't have a good point if he wants to say you have to be of one political belief. These are horrible, offensive things. But, you know, it does seem that one political party traffics in horrible, offensive things. And so he kind of can say, am I being persecuted for stating my beliefs or am I being persecuted for stating my what right now is in the mainstream of the Republican Party beliefs? Now, I would push back on that and I would say, look, you could say whatever you want about tax policy. Just don't offend our viewers. Just don't offend our potential audience. Like tone it down. The factually incorrect stuff. There's a (laughs) number of really easy things you could say. But I can understand why a a bonkers mind like Kurt Schilling would not understand, you know, how to, um, how to navigate the evolution of social media or in fact evolution. Evolution. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the, the difference here is that Kurt Schilling was not engaging in sort of enlightened political discourse, to put it mildly. And I think that's the, 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 that's what separates this sort of behavior. I think that it's probably within the realm of acceptability for a network like ESPN or Fox Sports or someone else. I mean, there certainly have been, um, commentators on the left who have written columns for ESPN that are about social issues. 
what's different is the the way that the that these sort of right wing memes that he is regurgitating are framed and the where they come from which is from the sort of the depths of the internet they have no foundation in reality and he embraces them with the sort of vigor and glee that is that that no corporation would find acceptable for a spokesman Vigor and Glee. No, those are just the two names of exotic dancers. <laughs> Do you get it? Yeah, I got, I got it. the joke. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, if we can bracket Kurt Schilling for a second, I think more broadly, sports commentary is inherently conservative, like television okay. sports commentary compared to sports writing. And my, I was trying to think about that, and I think part of it is that sports television is kind of centrally controlled. You're broadcasting to a mass audience. You're also drawing from a pool that's largely of older, uh, many like former athletes. But if you think about people like Jim Nance or Joe Buck, like you very rare, like we're just talking about Bryce Harper. You would very rarely hear a play by play guy on a network, whether it's ESPN or Fox or whoever, you know, if a guy flips his back, you're like, that was awesome. Like, that's really what I want to see. Yeah. They're like forces of conservatism, like trying to impose rules on how people behave, whether it's like you shouldn't pretend like you're mooning in the end zone of Lambeau Field. And it's just, just like as a branding or marketing thing, I find it weird that there are just so very few, like I guess Gus Johnson would be an example of one um, of play-by-play guys or, you know, even color commentators who really, like... Embrace irrational exuberance. Sure. Yeah, that's the way to put it. You know, it's It's funny because most people who say... Most people in the media who say things that we think of as offensive, where that some significant portion of the public gets offended by, they do it because that's their stock and trade. They get paid to do it. The reason Ann Coulter says all those crazy things is she gets paid a lot of money. That's her brand. Kurt Schilling is weird in that... He ne- first Full of all, stop. he needs yeah he needs the money. He lost. He says he lost all his money in that internet company that was underwritten by the uh, in that video game company that was underwritten by the state of Rhode Island. Even though he's a Republican who says that you know private enterprise and not the state should be involved in business. Fine, but he lost all his money, and I don't think he was lying about that because he had an estate sale where he sold a lot of his stuff. His so, Nazi memorabilia. He did sell some Nazi memorabilia. Yeah, that is that not is a true. joke. That is not a joke. <laughs> so. ESPN, that job, you know, Gruden gets like six and a half million. I wouldn't be surprised if Schilling got a million dollars, which is money Kurt Schilling needs. And all you have to do is stay away from the third rail of the stuff he talked about. And he couldn't do it. So to me, there's like a Tiger Woods-esque or sort of a diseased compulsion element to mm-hmm. this. He was getting he all this. He could not help himself. Yeah, he couldn't help himself. And the approval was coming from, you know, Breitbart or these right-wing sites. But how could he not see the big picture in this, which is just shut up and earn your millions of dollars for telling us if he's dealing a four-seamer or a two-seamer. It's not right. and, and And that's also the sort of the lack of awareness that there are a lot of former Major League Baseball players who are pretty good at talking about how to play baseball yeah. and to not be able to recognize how fortunate he was that he was able to leverage his success in a couple of world series to persuade the taxpayers of Rhode Island to float him tens of millions of dollars to start a company that ends up bankrupt and then to leverage that same success 
to get on ESPN to blow hard about baseball, to be not, you know, to lack that self-awareness clearly yeah. reflects something deeply flawed in your approach to life. To believe that you're entitled to do this shit rather than, you know, that to accept the fact that you are being given a gift that only a few former players are able to cash in on. What do you make of Olbermann? Like, I mean, it's kind of a difference in degree, obviously a difference in the side of the political spectrum, but he's definitely shown kind of a lack of self-control well, and he gets over fired, the years. And he gets fired from job after job. Yeah. And when he was with ESPN, he didn't traffic in the politics Correct. so much. And, the, you know, the, th the crazy thing about Schilling is it doesn't seem like there are so many horrible people in real life or things that other than his what his words are. It does seem that the way he actually treats people, not the way he talks about people, and that has a impact, the way he treats people is fairly decent and the people who know him say but for the blowhard part he's actually the kind of person like his son wrote on social media that he has a lot of trans friends and i went on grant shillings i think i think he has a son named garrig and maybe a son named i don't know Colfax. um <laughs> so so anyway grant has his very interesting facebook feed and it seems like kurt's nice to all his uh grant's friends I don't know. I really think one day he's going to enter some program for over-talkers and over-sharers. Maybe I'll be in it too. I don't know. <laughs> well, he will probably just get laundered through the right-wing media and will come out and yeah. be just fine. He'll either, he'll, he'll, he'll either do a 12-step program or, you know, be on 100 stations on the blowtorch of freedom. Or run for president in 2024. Yeah. <laughs> now for a word from our sponsor for this week, which is Slack. It's a messaging app for teams brings all of your communication at work into one place, integrating with the tools and services you use every day. We use it here at Slate. It's replaced a lot of our email traffic. It has made our communication a lot easier, more pleasant, more emoji-laden. Uh, there's no better way to make faster decisions and increase transparency across teams. It also integrates with services like Google Drive, Dropbox, or Trello, just paste the link, and the document is immediately uploaded and searchable. It's some of the nearly 100 integrations that are included in Slack. If you want to try it out, if you want to create a new team, uh, visit slack.com slash hangup. You can create that new team, and you'll get $100 in credit for when you decide to upgrade to a paid plan. That's slack.com slash hangup. All right, shall we move on to uh, happier topics? Sure. Local heroes, perhaps. Um, so it's time uh, for us to bring out our special guest for the evening. She uh, grew up in Northern Virginia. She was the Washington Post's Player of the Year her senior year in high school. Outside of the delivery radius for you on Long yeah. Island, but yeah. I checked <laughs> she it. She didn't rate in the Newsday rankings <laughs> at all. Uh, she went to Penn State, where her team won four straight Big Ten titles. She's played pro soccer in Germany, Sweden, and in these here, United States, where she's the captain of the undefeated Washington Spirit. <laughs> the Washington Spirit of the National Women's Soccer League. She has 87 appearances for the U.S. Women's National Team, and she started every game in the 2011 and 2015 Women's World Cups. Everyone, please welcome World Cup champion and great American, Allie Krieger. Yeah. 
So Allie Krieger is in a great mood today, and we are going to play a clip for you guys um, that will show you why. Ball on the right side. Krieger has it. She's all the way forward. Sends it into the box. Casey's there. A goal from Allie Krieger puts Washington on top. Caroline Casey thought she had it. Maybe a little too confident went right (laughs) over her fingertips. And the Washington spirit are on the board here. Let's take a look at that. And we... And as a as a special treat, we also have the Spanish radio broadcast of that goal. Let's go to that now. Krieger, Krieger, so goal, 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 golazo de Ali Krieger. Too good. I have a question. I have a question about that goal, Ali. You weren't trying to score a goal. Oh, you were come trying on. to cross the ball. Tell the truth. It was a shot, so, or a cross. <laughs> I mean, it's it's like a shot, but a cross. Not yeah. many people can do it. Yeah. Um, so I'm in an elite group of footballers yeah. that can do that. Um, but I first want to say thank you for three of my teammates who are here, and they also play on the Canadian national team. Diana Matheson... <laughs> Selena Zadorsky and Stephanie Lave, who are now here. You, you can... It's okay to boo the Canadian women's national team. It really yeah. is. Go ahead. Feel free. Well, welcome to America, and we apologize for the hideousness of our politicians. <laughs> <laughs> I think that it's a great time to talk about money. What do you guys think? Yes. We all know how much money you make. Is that a little bit weird? <laughs> yeah. It's a little weird. Um, last month, five players on the women's national team filed a complaint with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission regarding disparities in pay between the men and women. It was actually our whole team. So There were five that were named, right? And, yeah. They're, okay. they're, they're in that uh, committee for our CBA, and then we have an advertising committee and marketing and all that. So they were <laughs> the com- ones what who were on refresh- actually are you on we're very united in that. So <laughs> What's just want to make that clear. What's your committee? I'm the advertising and marketing oh, okay, committee. Okay, cool. So. Okay, so so here you are. Um, the I think argument you guys can do that. I'm, that's boring. That's boring to me. <laughs> the argument that you guys are making is about equal pay for equal work, and mm-hmm. we can hopefully get into the nitty gritty of that. But first, I wanted to ask about the decision to file the federal complaint in the first place. Um, it followed your team again, United, um, refusing to play on that turf field mm-hmm. in December in Hawaii. And from the outside, it feels like there is this attitude of enough is enough. And that you guys, you know, felt like you were being treated unfairly or unequally. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Um, I think it was impeccable timing, to be honest. And um, for us, you know, it's it's about gender equity and and treated being treated with fairness and respect and equality. And I think that that is, you know, not only within soccer but across all industries. And um, you know, I think that it was about time that we just stood up for ourselves and said, you know, this is enough. And um, you know, after that moment in Hawaii for our victory tour, you know, being world champions and having to go and play on the type of field that we were going to play on it was it just it, we didn't want to get injured and we didn't want to um, you know have to lower our standards just because um, you know we could just put up with anything after after being world champions I mean we had the leverage at that moment and um, you know we, we deserve better um, you know not only just in women's soccer but across all boards so 
So why not negotiate for that, given your standing? Why sue for that? Um, you know, we <laughs> we just want what's fair. And um, this isn't us, you know, attacking U.S. soccer or attacking the men's team. And we have to fight together. And it's it's not, you know, men versus women or our men's team versus the women's team or you get this, we don't get this. And it, it's worth, we need their support as well. We need to fight together in this and, um, you know, also just continue to get equal pay for everyone involved. And that, that is the most important thing. And that's, that's, we need to make sure that that is clear, that it's not us going against the men. And, and, and several prominent players on the men's team have publicly supported you. Absolutely. Which is what we need and what we want moving forward for everyone uh, involved. And I think the problem with these sorts of cases is that they do tend to devolve into, well, the aggregate revenue and the, the you know, the average salary, and it becomes very much a numbers game. We saw this this week with the response by U.S. soccer to the complaint that, that the numbers that they've presented are distorted and that, in fact, it's much closer. Actually. Right. <laughs> And th- and I think that's the hurdle here for the women is that you don't want it to sort of fall into this pattern of he said, she said very literally. Um, and how do you overcome that natural tendency when you fall into a into a dispute like this? Um, well, we just, you know, need to continue our support for the men's team. I mean, we want them to be successful and we want them to earn as much as they can earn. And um, we obviously want that reciprocated as well. But most importantly, it's equal pay for equal play. And we endure just the same amount of mental, um, you know, um, training and physical training as they do. And I think that that is important uh, to, you know, talk about because we endure the same amount uh, as they do as well. And we yeah. just want fairness. Plus, and they got to knock off early in their World Cup. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it was a success. And for us, it's like it's a failure if we yeah. don't make it to yeah. the final. Well, so. that's, a, that's a great point because with everybody saying, oh, well, you know, the, the women got around the same as the men did. The way that you guys were able to get that much money was because you won the World Cup. Like, Absolutely. it would, I, I would still want to, uh, talk to you if you guys had lost in the quarterfinals. <laughs> I would, I would still, you know, that would be great. Thank but you. in order yeah. to, to get this amount of money, you guys had to, like, that's what the expectations are for the women. And that Absolutely. seems unfair. And <laughs> I want to make a point. We're not just fighting for our team. We're fighting for all of the women's teams across the board. You know, we're fighting for Canada. We're fighting for Brazil. We're fighting for Sweden. We're fighting for everyone to be able to, you know, earn what we deserve. And I think that that, you know, we can really start this movement. And that's what I want to say. I'm very proud to be a part of this bigger movement. And um, that that is very important for all of us to know is that our team. We're not just doing it for ourselves. We're doing it for all of the women and females who play at this high level. I did notice in terms of the pay disparity, one of the points was that the men get money just for showing up, even if they lose a friendly, and the women do not get paid if they lose a friendly. And at first, I thought that was a good point, but then I said, but you guys don't lose friendlies, so what's yeah. the big deal? <laughs> and I'm like, pay up. Yeah. Um, no, but that, yeah, that's that's. It was quite shocking to see that you know even if the men's team loses, they get five grand a game. If um, you know we lose, we get zero. If they tie a game, they get about eight grand, and we get zero. Um, so, and if they win, they get about thirteen grand, and we get thirteen hundred fifty. I think is the bonus. So there's quite the. 
Well, there's the lever. You mentioned leverage before, and the end game here is is really negotiating a better contract, and you're certainly in a better position to do that, and you will be after you win the Olympic gold medal. Right, right. 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 Not to put any pressure on you or anything. Sorry, teammates. Sorry, they're like, no, you guys aren't. But a point I made, we talked about this a few weeks ago on this show, and one of the points I made was that U.S. soccer represents all of soccer in the United States, and we're at the point where, let's be frank, apart from the women, we are not exactly dominant forces in the world on the men's side. Why should, and the point I made was, why should, why shouldn't the revenue just be divided equitably? We're supposed to be bringing up all levels of soccer, regardless of gender in the United States. Yes, absolutely. And it's taken a long time. But as I said before, this is now we have the leverage to do so. And I think that we needed that um, in order to really make a point and and what we're trying to do here. And I think that, yeah, it's going to take some time. And we've we fight every single day um, to get what we deserve. And I think that, you know, now specifically winning the World Cup, not only has it helped us in this situation, but it's helped, you know, women's football across uh, the world. And I think that we all are fighting together to hopefully one day um, have equal pay for equal play. Um, so there's a piece in the New York Times today by Juliette Masur, and it was about the NWSL, your league. Mm-hmm. And it made the argument, um, she said that if folks are upset about the fact that women, the top women players in the world aren't um, being paid equally, then what they need, to, what people need to do is support this league, and that there are players in this league who are not part of the national team program because your salary is paid by U.S. Soccer, right? There are players who are not part of the national team program who are not making very much money. Mm-hmm. And there was a quote from one of those players that said, "If we're going to eat a Chipotle together, the, they're going to pay for the extra guacamole." So <laughs> we want we want all of the players in the WSL to have as much guacamole as yes. they want. <laughs> I think we can yes, all get we love, that. we love guacamole, yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> that's also a great point. You know, we're all in this together and we're fighting, um, you know, for the players who are not allocated to the teams or, um, you know, aren't uh, in the Canadian Federation or the U.S. Federation and who do not get allocated to these teams, um, you know, we want to fight for those players. And that's why we are also doing this, because we do have that voice. We do have that platform and that leadership to do so. And I think that's very, very important um, that, you know, we need your help, you know, sponsor teams, come to the games, um, support your local teams, um, tweet about it, social media, advertise anything, spread the word and just... Uh, you know, you're going to go to a football match and see quality soccer. And um, I just encourage all of you to participate. And, you know, there was recently in the on Friday night a record for NWSL that was broken. The attendance record was 23,400 fans in Orlando. And they had, that's the first year that they have this women's team. And I know that in D.C., metropolitan area... <laughs> <laughs> That we have 20,000 other fans that do want to come and support us in our game. And if only uh, to make Mike Pesca look bad yes. and wrong. <laughs> yes. So please, I encourage all of you, not only just helping us, um, you know, just succeed and, and continue this uh, amazing league to, to hopefully be one of the best, best leagues in the world, but come support us and enjoy watching good quality football. You, you are on the marketing committee, right? Yeah. Can just you checking. tell? Yeah. <laughs> 
So I would suggest, by the way, whenever you play an opponent, be they the crash or the flash. No, the fat flash or the dash. There's no crash. <laughs> no crash. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's hope not. Uh, you should buy them the Chipotle guacamole because norovirus <laughs> is. So you know, it's a possibility. Now, That's because, all I'm saying. Hey guys, it's all on me. It's so all on me. you play professionally in Germany, right? Yes. And and Sweden. Yes, and, five and, and a half years in Germany and three months in Sweden. The clubs there are affiliated with the male club? Um, not all of them, no. We were in Frankfurt. I played for um, FFC Frankfurt for five and a half years. That was my first professional experience because at the time I graduated college, uh, I don't want to say because of my age, but... Um, She's 31. I, I, yeah, 31. <laughs> so I went over in, in 2007 right after and because we didn't have a league here and I, I didn't want to stop playing um, soccer at the time, so... I went over there and, um, we were, we weren't, um, we were a separate entity from it, the men. Is there, is it better to some of the, uh, some of the clubs in your league are affiliated with MLS loosely or strongly? Is it better to do it that way? Are there any lessons of the way they do it in Europe that, you know, the leagues here can borrow? Yeah, but I think, you know, one important thing to know is that in Europe, football is the number one sport there, uh, soccer, excuse me. Um, and, um, obviously, you know, we're kind of, you know, lower maybe on the list. We're getting there. Mm -hmm. Um, especially in women's sports, we are, you know, high on the list. And so I think that is going to take some, some more time. Obviously, you see more fans going out to MLS games. And, and I do agree that, yes, it's, it's good and very positive and healthy for a women's team to be connected to the men's team because you automatically have their fans behind you. 100%. But um, I do also think it's powerful to not be associated directly sometimes with the men's team because you can, you know, you're fighting for for yourself. And, and, and if you can hold your own, like we did at FFC Frankfurt, we still had a bunch of fans to come out to our games and support us no matter if we were connected to the men's team or not. So I think that it just depends on maybe where this the city is and if you mm-hmm. are, are a popular soccer city or town. Well, it seems to me that the women's teams in the uh, pro league that are connected to men's teams are like in poor Portland, right? The, the thorns and the uh, timber. I'm so very impressed. The naming. Yes. 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 And he is but not a soccer guy. So. In a sense that the teams who need it least are the ones who have it automatically, the soccer crazy towns, right? It would be nice if the uh, your team could be connected with uh, an MLS. Oh, team. I don't know. I think no? I think the spirit is better off playing out in suburban Maryland in a five thousand. No, seriously, in a soccer than at RFK Stadium. Yeah, if we could like, pick a, it up and dump. move it closer, yeah. or but you know, I but I do get think some buses that, to take you guys out there. Yeah. We're we're working on that. We're working on that. But but I do think that as the these leagues grow and mature, and this is a record fourth season for a women's professional mm-hmm. soccer league. As they grow and mature, there is, there are a lot of benefits. Um, there's a lot of economies of scale that can be gained from affiliating, particularly in soccer specific stadiums. I mean, it'd be a lot better if you were playing in a 18,000 seat or 15,000 seat soccer specific stadium somewhere near downtown. Absolutely. And I think we would draw that amount of fans. Um, I think that a lot of the DC United fans would be super encouraged to come out and support us. Um, I know that some of them already do up at the Maryland complex. We do need more, but that, you know, uh, hopefully that connection and that relationship with the men's team will continue to grow. And hopefully once they build the new stadium, we'll be able to call that our new home and all be under the same umbrella at some point. But you're right. I mean, I do think... I do think that it's very important to also have that support of the men's um, team in the men's league. So injuries are such a big part of the game and um, of your sport in particular. Um, 
Carly Lloyd, the news just came out today that she only has an MCL sprain. So hopefully she'll be okay for the Great Olympics. Great one, just yes. like Steph Curry. <laughs> yeah. Um, Megan Rapino <laughs> is recovering from yes. a knee injury. You tore your ACL and like basically all mm-hmm. the other stuff in, in your right, knee before, right, before the 2012 Olympics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found it fascinating that you actually believe that that injury was a great thing that happened to you in your career. Maybe not right. I in wouldn't that say mo- those words, but maybe not right um, in that moment, but that it made you a better player. Absolutely. And, um, yes, I do agree with that because I think that I, I was on cloud nine right after the 2011 world cup. And, um, unfortunately, you know, we didn't win that, but I, you know, personally I had a really good tournament I felt like, and, and was just playing really good football at that time. I thought that was the best I've been playing. And then all of a sudden this injury happened in the Olympic qualifiers in 2012. And so, uh, in Vancouver actually. So it's a small, you know, uh, it's a small world because everything kind of came full circle after winning then on the same exact field that I got injured on tearing my ACL came back, won the world cup on the same exact field. So that was a new memory that I made there. Um, but I think, you know, playing any sport, you, you take a huge risk and that's just a part of the game. It's, it's not always fair. And I think that going through that struggle, having a new perspective, um, on my career and I guess, um, you know, on the game and, and what I wanted to do from then on and, and keeping my goals in mind and getting back to the highest level. That was my first goal, you know, just to get back to playing on the national team and to play professionally. Cause after an injury like that, you never know if you can get back and, and fully recover. But I think taking the proper steps of rehab and, and setting, you know, small goals each and every day, I just, um, I worked really hard on agility, footwork, plyos, like different types of stuff that I, I not necessarily would have done before that. And I think I am 10 times the player that I was before, um, that injury. And, and I'm very grateful for that. And just this new perspective on, on my career. I have a couple of injury questions that uh, relate to the head, not to the knee. <laughs> okay. um, I'll ask one of them now. Um, the rates for brain injury concussions for mm-hmm. girls and women's soccer are about twice as high as for boys and men. Mm-hmm. Um, my daughter, who's in the audience, I'm going to embarrass her now. We've yes, twice we watched um, live as women were clearly brain injured during games. Once was last summer at the semifinal of the World Cup in Montreal when Morgan mm-hmm. Bryan and Alexandra Pop of uh, Germany mm-hmm. collided and went down. And another was uh, at an NWSL game when Abby Wambach was, took a ball right in her head. and was yeah, I think clearly, that was from her own teammate. It was from actually. her own teammate, yeah. yeah. And I wrote about that a yeah. few times for Josh on Slate. <laughs> um, what can the sport and professional athletes like you, professional players like you, do to improve education and the climate around brain injuries? You know what? I think reiterating the fact that, you know, how to properly head a ball. Um, you obviously can't do anything about, you know, getting hit in the head, um, you know, preparing for that if, if someone is kicking that ball at you, but just properly understanding how to attack the ball and not let it attack you. And that's first and foremost. And I think, um, you know, young kids, you can't prevent kids from not wanting to head the ball and be, it's a part of the game. And we all did when we were younger growing up. So I wouldn't say just prevent your kid from, you know, heading the ball. Um, but obviously you do get nervous about getting concussions, especially when you're young and your brain is still 
performing and growing. And um, I specifically have suffered from two concussions and therefore um, have, have been careful because I think if I suffer another one, I would have to hang up my boots, which I'm not wanting to do that at the time um, right now in my career. And I, I have um, an unequal he- halo and it's a headband that doesn't necessarily prevent um, concussions, but it reduces the risk of con- concussions. And I think that's also a good option. But teaching, you know, your kids how to properly head a ball and because you can't avoid that in a game, it's going to happen. Um, and then obviously maybe wearing the protective type of, of headgear that you can, that you can have. And telling young players and older players that they should have coaches and trainers that encourage them to come out of games when... Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. You know, if you do feel a little bit foggy or, you know, you're you're obviously unconscious and um, you... <laughs> unconscious you is a good You shouldn't get sign. up and play. You should okay. leave the game. Um, yeah. yeah, you should You should 100% leave the game. So listen Just to prudent. listen to your trainers yeah. <laughs> and be smart about it because, you know what, this goes along with all injuries. You know, if you get injured, you, you just want to sit out one game. You don't want to sit out eight. You know, so you really have to take care of yourself and be smart about your body and, um, yeah, and trust that. All right, here's part two. Part two is that Brandy Chastain announced last month that she would be donating her brain posthumously. Um, Thank God for that part. (laughs) To to a group that studies uh, the effects of of head injuries on athletes. Thank God for that part, too. Yes. (laughs) And Abby Wambach and Megan Rapinoe said at a public appearance a few weeks ago that they Mm -hmm. would do the same thing. Is this a topic of conversation? Maybe I should, too, since I'm the one who's actually suffered some concussion. Well, I mean, that's my question. Have you thought about this, and do players discuss this? Yeah, I mean, I thought about it, laughed about it, forgot about it. No. Um, (laughs) I... I don't know, you know, it's to each their own, right? Um, you know, when the time comes, maybe I'll, I'll change my mind. Right now, I'm not thinking about that. Um, but, you know, th- th- to each their own. And if that's what they want to do, I think that's great. And for the study of concussions, and um, I know that each one of them have had one, so, and I've suffered from that. So I think that's very, very important to learn more about concussions because we know very little. Um, it's basically like a snow globe, you know, like if you get hit, it's like you're shaking a snow globe and all the snow just is like falling. And that's kind of what a concussion is you have to wait until all that snow settles before you can then be okay and and it takes more time you know or less time for others it it just depends you were out for months with the first concussion were you yeah i was out for two months i think for each each of them and unconscious for the second one wow yeah that's some snow globe yeah yeah, it's Um, wild wild so you u.s national team best in the world we heard penn state Four Big Ten championships. Am I right? In high school, you play with a group of players who are dominant. <laughs> yeah. This is the, right. You won high school championships. So, hey, Washington's on the top of the standings after I mean, two games. But this must be <laughs> this must crushing. be your first experience where you weren't expected to win necessarily. You didn't win. You weren't. You didn't have the bullseye. Was there anything that you had to do to mentally process? okay, we're on a 500 team. Okay, we're not on the first team. You know, you've never yeah. gone through that before. Um, actually, Diana and I were talking about this, um, you know, this this past weekend, just about our first year of the league yeah. and um, our first team. And, and we didn't have a successful year. And that was, you know... A, it's tough playing at this level because um, playing at this level is just, you, you have been obviously successful in the past. And I think um, I... Until that point, I had yet to be on such an or have like such an unsuccessful season. Not that we weren't successful, but it just wasn't. Sorry, let me reword that. 
we were a successful group yes. as individuals and very, very good, but we just weren't unsuccessful that season. And that was very tough for a lot of us because we're usually winning and, and, you know, scoring goals and having, you know, I don't know, just being super happy and excited about the season. And, and it was quite the opposite. So you do have to kind of go through those struggles, but you do grow from that and you do learn from that. And, um, you know, then you just have to kind of, Move on and, and, and yeah, you just move on and schedule Trinidad and Tobago. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then Stop you build it. your confidence. Yeah. Thir- um, 1350. Yeah. <laughs> then we go back to the national teams and then we're like, all right, uh, let's get some more money. We're happy. Right. Let's, uh, um, no, but in all honesty, you obviously grow from those experiences and all of us have been there. Um, I, I, I guarantee it. And so it's, it's, <laughs> you know, all of us go through that. Um, but we grow from it and now. And now look, we're top of the league. Top of yeah. the league. Top of, top of the league, Ma. <laughs> Let's do a lightning round. Let's just ask a few more quick questions. So you hit the uh, penalty kick to beat Brazil in the 2011 <laughs> World Cup. Yeah, that was one of my two goals on the national team. <laughs> it was one of the best games ever. Just an amazing, Good thing you don't get paid game. by the goal. I know, right? <laughs> I probably won't be sitting here. So here's my question about that. When you step up to the spot to take that, Kick. Were you just scared shitless? <laughs> um, no, actually. Um, right before that, I was. I was talking to Carly right next to me. I remember this clear as day. So I was talking to Carly Lloyd right next to me. We were all standing, like, hugging each other. And um, I just, I don't know if I should tell this story. But, uh, and I was like, Carly, yeah. So, like, I don't even know the order of it, but... Um, let me tell you this, before we go out there, we had an order set and most teams do, you know, you kind of know who your kickers are. You train the whole week to like every, every training session, you, you take a few just in case. And so I I guess I was good enough to be on the list. Um, and it was like Abby, Boxy, Pino, Carly, me, I think, I'm not sure the order, but anyway, everyone rocked their PK. Like it was just like a note, like it just went right in. I mean, upper corner, bottom corner like I don't know the goalkeeper maybe you know chose a different direction and it just was like unbelievable and I was like looking at Carly and I said oh my god I just got so nervous I said I don't know if I can do this and she's like dude like you have you have like you got to go up there (laughs) you'll be fine but you got to go up there you know you're like the fifth one and so I said okay she's got a future in coaching that one right (laughs) but little did you guys know that after that PK I mean you know, I hit it with my purse. I, I think I could have hit it a little bit harder than that. Um, <laughs> but thank goodness it went in, celebrated. And then my coach came up to me and was like, you know, the next day, um, she was like, well, when was the last time you had, you know, you shot a PK? I was like, oh, you 16 regional final. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, you know, that was a bit of a shocker. I'm glad yeah. I didn't mention that before I stepped yeah. up there. Yeah, but it was a but, final. I mean, it was yeah. a final. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, you know, I was ready. Um, <laughs> you were fully prepared. You fully prepared. I got a sartorial question for you. All you right. like to wear your socks over the knees, and yeah. I find that really weird. Like, you're really <laughs> like, what is wrong with well, you and you. other <laughs> soccer players who do that? Um, I, I don't. I, I don't find it really weird, but um, <laughs> you know, I, I just feel more comfortable with that. Plus, when um, I, I try not to fall all the time, but if you like slide tackle, you're on the ground often, and especially as a defender, I just I just like to have that because when you get scraped, especially when we play on turf, not anymore, but before, um, you know, that would help with uh, I guess the the turf burns or the grass burns and things like that. 
So I've just always felt more comfortable wearing it above my knee. I don't know. So the Western New York Rochester Stadium is called like Sala Stadium or some local packing plant. But before that, it had a different <laughs> name. And I found out, I don't know if you know this, the way they named their stadium. It's Salins, actually. Yes, yeah, Salins. Okay. Yeah. They, the, so whatever it was before that, the way they named their stadium is they sold raffle tickets for $1,000. And whoever won the raffle got to name the stadium. <laughs> And they named it just like the lame name of the business, but they could have named it anything, right? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, who's their, who's their biggest rival, the Western New York team? I think everyone. All right, yeah. <laughs> everyone's gunning for them. So, yeah, I'm they could have, right, they could have named it, you know, the, uh, the, the, the Houston or a bunch of butthole stadiums, right? And that's really intimidating. <laughs> but my question to you is if you could name the soccer plex, which has no, Space between soccer and plex, which is a whole thing. If you could name it <laughs> anything you wanted, we don't what, have time for this. What would space. you name the stadium? Yeah, I know. Um, I'll give you a little bit more time to think by noting that there's yeah, going to be an Ali Krieger complex oh yeah, in Virginia. Complex. Yeah, um, there is. It's in the works. Um, That'll be a good name. Yeah, so, I would. No, no, so no. So, congratulations on winning the raffle, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I paid that money, my bonus. <laughs> No, but yeah, there's the Alley Krieger Sports Complex coming um, in Potomac um, Shores in Virginia, where close to where I grew up. And so there's going to be, I think, nine fields. There's like three softball fields, which I was like, eh, we could take that out. <laughs> um, no, but it's for the kids, for the kids. <laughs> um, and then there's, I think, one turf field. And I was like, eh. <laughs> uh, once again, but um Anyway, so then the, then there's going to be a few grass fields, which will be great. And I hope to go back in May and do the ribbon cutting or I think end of summer. I forget which, what date exactly it is, but yeah, it's kind of cool. And the name of your stadium is? I mean, maybe we can then play there. I can bring the oh, team that's there. Interesting. And then she's yeah. stuck in the question. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't really know. Rock stars. I don't know. We're just hmm. top of the league plaques. Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> All right. I got one more. I got nothing. I got one more. So. There's a guy, a former NBA player named Andre Kirilenko, AK, and he uh, <laughs> had the number 47 for AK-47. <laughs> Have you I thought about like being AK-47? No, AK-11 all the way. AK-11 all the way. Um, in high school, my friends would, would say that, AK-47, but no, that didn't stick. <laughs> <laughs> well, if Washington had to like, rename a team a from idea. the bullets, <laughs> I don't think AK-47 Especially living in Washington, would really like, fly. No, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. All right, Ali Krieger, thank you so much. Yes, thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you. So you're free to uh, go yes. uh, rejoin your rejoin the Canadian like, national team. You might have to come back to answer questions from the audience, though. All right, it's time for afterballs, and we—I'm going to do an, an Ali Krieger-themed afterball name. Um, Ali played youth soccer on the Prince William Sparklers. <laughs> <laughs> you had so, your chance to name the stadium. Sparkler Stadium would have been great. According to Ali Krieger's website, our team name was Sparklers, and we were awesome. <laughs> And so we are going to honor the sparklers uh, today. Mike Fasco, what is your sparkler? Let me tell you, in travel soccer, whenever the sparklers face the Chevy Chase jazz hands, throw the records out the window. 
So baseball, so, but I also wanted to note that I was going through all the disparity between men and women's pay, and it said that if uh, the members of the women's national team get pregnant, they get half pay for the term, term of their pregnancy or for some weeks. And I think equity dictates that we offer that to the men, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just putting that out there. All right, so it's baseball season, and the thing I like most about baseball is the fresh grass the flipped bats, mostly, though, the horrible commercials. During a baseball game, this goes back from time immemorial, but taking the name of the product or the whatever the product is and incorporating into the game has a long and storied history of Ballantine Blast or this call to the bullpen sponsored by whatever the phone carrier is in the area. But in New York Mets games, they've, and I'm sure this is true with your team too, but there are a couple of ads that jump out at me as particularly mm, opportune. So here's the first one. The injury update brought to you by InjuryLawyer.com, the Rothenberg Law Firm, fighting and winning on behalf of seriously injured clients for over 45 years. You've been injured. Call one eight hundred six two four eighty eight eighty eight. So it's just it's just inspiring that in America we found a way to monetize a groin pull. <laughs> oh, Carrasco is writhing out there in the mound. That could be a six-figure settlement. The injury so sensitive, right? You hate to diagnose up here in the booth, but that looks like an ACL, which could be quite a hefty jury summation. All right. The second ad that this is an ad they always run when the Mets are leading, they pull the starting pitcher and a reliever comes in. Now think about what this would naturally what kind of business this would lend itself to. There used to be the Rolaids relief man. This guy's job was left undone. I don't know, maybe like a contractor, something about, um, you know, sitting on a lead. Let's see what the Mets have done with this particular situation. Mets with a three to one lead on to protect it is Hansel Robles, just as Norman Seabrook and the Corrections Officers Benevolent Association protect and patrol the toughest precincts in New York. The jails, Coba. New York's boldest. Yeah. (laughs) Couple things there. The corrections officer union is advertising during Mets games. All right. I'm inspired. I'm going to go, what, buy a prison guard? What's my, what's, what what are they asking me to do? Just support the, the corrections officers. Great. And then Norman Seabrook. Now, if you're not from New York, you might not know, but Norman Seabrook has injected himself into all the corrections officers' branding, like a guy like Tom Carvel, or again, if you're not from New York, one of the most egotistical local, local Hyundai dealers. You know, they come for me. Tom Smathers Chevrolet. So he's Norman Seabrook and the correction officers. And that's pretty egregious. And it doesn't really fit in with what's going on, on, uh, during the game, the, you know, protect your lead. But more egregious is the other local club that Norm Seabrook and the corrections officers not only advertise on, but Norman Seabrook does the ads. I hate this, by the way. (laughs) They should ban radio advertising that has a siren. I'm barely getting over, uh, what is it, the turtles somewhere in the city? No, Love and Spoonful? Yeah, you know the part? Hot town, Summer City. Uh, uh, I'm always looking around. (laughs) They should definitely ban a siren. Most radio is listened to in your car. So I hate it already. And in fact, that's why I've heard this ad for years and I've never actually listened to what's going on. It's just me going, God damn it. It's not a real siren. But here's the actual ad. (laughs) 
New York City correction officers are more than just jails. COBRA's Gun Stop program and push for peace to end gun violence and stand up for those who cannot stand for themselves. And last but not least, correction officers support our New York Knicks. I'm Norman Seabrook, president of the New York City Correction Officers Benevolent Association. Support your local correction officer and law enforcement officer. After all, without us, how safe would you really be? <laughs> Is that a threat? Yeah. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like support them or we got two weeks in the shoe. <laughs> without them, how safe would we really be? I don't know. They'd probably automate the doors. Someone would take the job. I mean, I, I, and I just compliment them for backing off the instinct, like the protect the lead, you know. This isolation play has been put by the, sponsored by the New York Correction Society. <laughs> Solitary. Yeah. So anyway, this after ball has been sponsored by Norm Seabrook and the correction officer, Benevolent. Benevolence is just an underpinning of corrections officers. Without them, how safe would we be? Indeed. Thank you, Mike. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. Are you ready to sparkle for us? I am ready seven? to sparkle, Josh. What is, what is your sparkler? Well, Chris Batchelder was 14 years old when on Monday Night Football in November 1985, he watched New York Giants linebacker Lawrence Taylor snap the bones in Washington quarterback Joe Theismann's legs like two breadsticks. 30 years later, Batchelder has written a novel called The Throwback Special. It is ostensibly about a group of men who get together every year to reenact this play. But really, it's about, you know, the American male and middle age and ritual and emptiness and desperation. It is a terrific, <laughs> terrific book. Seriously, go read it. Batchelder's characters recreate the play in meticulous detail down to the tape that the guys are wearing on which wrist which foot is in front of the other when they line up at the line of scrimmage. And in order to do that, Batchelder had to watch the clip of the play over and over and over. He told me over the phone last week that it started to look scripted. He said, quote, they get the catastrophe amazingly right. <laughs> the broadcast also helps us do that, and that's what I want to focus on. Frank Gifford is on the play-by-play Joe Namath and O.J. Simpson are doing the color. It starts with Gifford gently ribbing O.J. for being passed in career rushing yards by Washington's John Riggins, who is in the game and is about to play a seminal role in this event. O.J. chuckles fakely. It is TV banality pre pre preceding real-life calamity. Gifford ends the anecdote just as the ball is snapped. Let's listen. Theismann to the ground at the 42-yard line. Theismann's in a lot of trouble. Batchelder says that Gifford's language has always haunted him because we know what Gifford doesn't know, which is what's about to happen, that Theismann's tibia is about to pop through his sock and blood is about to spray onto one of the referees. That's what happened. From the camera and the booth angle, it looks like just another football play a pile of bodies. Quickly, Lawrence Taylor was up saying Theismann is hurt. And I don't believe Lawrence Taylor would have reacted that way unless Theismann is really hurt. Taylor is actually waving frantically for medical assistance. And then he's putting his hands to his head, to his helmet, in horror. That very human gesture, as Batchelder writes, is one of the most indelible in sports. Lawrence Taylor, this new breed of linebacker, 
uh, powerful, fast, insane. Uh, he's in this helpless sort of Edvard Munch pose. Um, but it's not until ABC shows a reverse angle replay that Frank, OJ, and Joe, and the rest of us saw what actually happened. Let's take a look at with our reverse angle camera. He's looking deep, but he knows he's in trouble. Lawrence Taylor, number 56, right there. Carson is number 53. But it's Taylor over Carson. Oh, oh slamming. Oh. And you see the oh. right knee, the right foot. That's the ankle. It wasn't the ankle, and it's hard to tell if that was O.J. or Joe or just O.J. groaning there. In any case, ABC wisely cut to a commercial. Then they show the reverse angle again in slow motion so that Gifford can do the full autopsy. Now, you have to understand that the reverse angle was new. This was a big technological advance. It was so new, in fact, that reverse angle is displayed on screen in all capital letters in what Batchelder calls that quaint and earnest 1980s font. We see Lawrence Taylor airborne. He's grabbing Theismann's shoulders. He's swinging to the right like he's hanging on a basketball rim. His right thigh and the weight of his body crash land on the back of Theismann's calf. And again, we'll look at it with the reverse angle one more time. And I suggest your stomach is weak. You just don't watch. I've got to say that Gifford actually does a very good job narrating this disaster, but that little dismissive uptick in his voice makes makes me think that he was a little freaked out by what he was watching and the fact that he was about to go over it again. Maybe he was remembering his own mauling by Chuck Bednarik 25 years earlier, but then OJ finally talks, and this is my favorite, if that is the right word, part of the broadcast. It's interesting, no matter what you feel about a player, I saw Coach Parcells come out on the field when you see a competitor like Joe Theismann injured, especially uh, this severely, I don't think anyone feels good about it. No, nobody feels good about it. Um, uh, OJ started that by saying it's interesting. I mean, there was nothing interesting about that observation at all, but it was a perfect reminder of what a dimwit and talk about foreshadowing that OJ Simpson was. Actually, there was one interesting thing in there, which Batchelder pointed out to me. It's OJ saying, no matter what you feel about a player, Gifford then went on to preface 30 seconds of reflexive praise of Joe Theismann with this. Say what you want to about Joe Theismann. <laughs> Nobody liked Joe Theismann. He was perceived as soft and selfish, a prima donna. The injury totally changed the narrative of Theismann's career <laughs> and his life, and it got him on The Simpsons. Homer, could you turn off the TV? There's a little test I want you to take. Oh, great. You made me miss Joe Theismann. And now that incident has spawned what should be a classic novel about football. It's called The Throwback Special by Chris Batchelder, and I totally recommend it. It's... It really, it really is surprising to me, surprising that O.J. wouldn't be that bothered by all that blood. I, I wouldn't have thought of that. It's crazy. Foreshadowing, yeah. Mike. Foreshadowing. All right, Josh, what's your sparkler? So I wanted to do something nice for our D.C. audience, uh, as opposed to some of our other panelists. Um, and I actually am talking about our uh, favorite local, vile, professional football franchise as well. Um, but don't worry, there's someone way more likable than Dan Snyder in this afterball, because I'm going to talk about Richard Nixon. Um, you guys might know that Nixon and the coach George Allen were friends 
or at least that Allen picked up the phone when the president called him. It was only polite. We know this because Nixon secretly recorded his phone calls, and those tapes have been released to the public in dribs and drabs over the years. I'm going to play one Richard Nixon, George Allen clip, which is from October 22nd, 1972. That was the day that Allen's Washington team beat the hated Dallas Cowboys 24 to 20. So we're all friends here. I got to confess, the audio is really crap here. But what you've got to take away from this is... needed better tape recording equipment. Yeah. He, Richard, the Richard Nixon podcast was very yeah. substandard. Yeah. Um, so the players... Better the, than a lot of the uh, Bill Simmons ones, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't care who he offends. It's Mike Fesca. Um, I'm just saying I like the 1600. I want to hear what they're saying, but they're using a goddamn sneaker phone. Okay. <laughs> So the players that Richard Nixon is talking about in this clip are Cowboys quarterback Craig Morton and Washington quarterback Sonny Jurgensen, a.k.a. Jurgi. And at the, the exchange at the end, Allen and Nixon are talking about how Sonny Jurgensen enjoys alcohol. Uh, so let's roll that. I must say, Martin was fantastic in the yeah, first half. He was. He's, but then, then Jerky began to come through, and yeah. he didn't have any interceptions, did he? No. We got two and sacked Morton three times. Was Jerky? He was sacked uh, just once. Once. And he, I thought he was hurt then. But well, he got his face cut a little bit, but he's he's yeah. okay. Huh? He's really come around, Mr. President. He's lost weight. He's <laughs> not, he stopped drinking, and uh, <laughs> you mean stop drinking for for a little while? Huh? Yeah. So Alan says, oh, J- uh, Jurgensen's, you know, doing better. He stopped drinking. Nixon laughs and says, for a little while. <laughs> like, it make it sound like he was drinking in the huddle and that it was, like, actually a p- progress there. Okay, so let's now fast forward to December 9th, 1972, the season's second Washington-Dallas game. The president is at Camp David. He's, like, ready for the game. He's, you know, got his TV on. So we're in the fourth quarter. Washington trailing Dallas by seven. Nixon's daughter, Julie, walks into the room. He secretly tape-recorded his children, too. (laughs) Who doesn't? Did not discriminate. Again, the audio quality here is not great. But listen for Julie asking a question that rings through living rooms across the land during football season. That question is, how much longer is this game going to be on, (laughs) Dad? Because we need to eat dinner. Let's listen to that. He's like, five minutes or so? He's like, five minutes. Yeah, five minutes. Totally five minutes. Five, ten minutes. Yeah, definitely five, ten minutes. It'll be over. Five, ten minutes. Okay, then about 20 seconds later, something happened in the football game, and the leader of the free world got very mad. This time, listen for the phrase, son of a bitch. So he says, God damn it. And his daughter, Julie, goes, is that bad? (laughs) It was bad. Um, Washington lost to Dallas 34-24. But what we really want to know is, when was President Nixon ready for dinner? So thank goodness for the Freedom of Information Act. (laughs) Let's listen to the final exchange between Richard Nixon and Julie and see 
how the president's estimate. Five or ten minutes. Let's see how that held up. Daddy, should we go ahead? You should go ahead. You go ahead. I'll be right. I'll be right in, honey. Richard Nixon uh, assumed the presidency January 20th, 1969, late to dinner due to football, December 9th, 1972, resigned August 9th, 1974. That's all I got. But just think, if, if Roger Goodell had been the National Archivist, those tapes would be burned. <laughs> they would have had lawyers stomp on them. Stomp on them. They would have burned them. They would have stepped on them. See, it all comes back to Deflategate. We'd love your feedback on what we talked about today. You can email us at hangupatslate.com. We've got links to the stories we discussed. You can see the show notes at slate.com slash hangup. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes at itunes.com slash podcasts. And we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash listen. Our intern, Julia Karen. Our producer is Zach Dinerstein. The executive producer of Slate's podcast is Steve Lichtai. And Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of Panoply. Thank you to Allie Krieger for being our guest. Thank you to the Woolly Mammoth Theater for hosting us. Remember Zelmo Beatty, Hall of Famer Zelmo Beatty. And thanks for listening. To see the long shit, got the sea so feel on the reason y'all here. Everybody talking, feel like I'm brace off. But I just got a place where the Nets play, so I'm south side. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.